So Sean, thank you so much for coming on to the show. I'm really excited to have you on here. Thank you. So you've been in this industry for over 15 years. You're the first male model with albinism in fashion history. You've worked with nearly everybody. I mean, who doesn't know Sean Ross, right? Yeah. You've worked with big designers such as Alexander McQueen. You've been in magazines as big as Vogue. You've also starred in some of the biggest music videos with the biggest artists such as Beyonce. And you're a platinum selling music artist. You've done a lot. Now today I want to focus on your modeling career and everything you experienced during your time modeling. What made you transition? Well, for me, when I was younger, I would always hear from like different like agents and managers, oh, you know, fashion doesn't, you know, the whole modeling aspect doesn't like last for like a long time. And even though it does, obviously when you can see like the likes of people like Naomi Campbell and the list goes on, for me, I've always wanted to be this multifaceted person. I always was just like into different mediums of like art. As I got older, I'd find myself in different spaces you know being in this industry it all merges together and at some point there's like this like crossroad where everything just connects i would find myself in rooms with you know musicians i'd find myself in rooms with actors it's interesting because when i was younger my first agent his name was dejami Raphael, and i was just like i just want to be a model he was like no but you should learn how to do acting because you know one day you could possibly be an actor etc etc i was just like no 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 i don't want to do these things and he was absolutely right he was completely right where it was just like wow like there's so many things that you can do outside of just you know being like this pretty canvas for people to paint and so i just always ended up in different studios throughout the time like prime example like diana gordon she took me into like one of my first studios being with her and then moving to la and becoming friends with like wale we actually met at like a gq magazine party him loving my style and me loving his style he's a super kind person you know he would always invite me to like the studio to just see like you know how his process was and i think just being around those different types of rooms for years has always made me feel Feel like oh maybe I can do this. It's weird because growing up, my my parents like they always listened to like very multi-dimensional forms of music. We didn't like listen to just like one type of music growing up. It was different types of genres that were being played, and so I just took all of those things and I just always had this love for music. But I didn't think that I actually would end up making music. So do you think looking back though that being a model that you could just be a model nowadays because you've been in major music videos, you've been in probably studios I would imagine before you even did music Absolutely, as well. Yes. You had options of exposure of things to do. Do you think that models can just be models nowadays or that they kind of have to really do it all or do at least more than just modeling? Growing up, you've always had to have multiverse about you. You know, coming up, like even like inside of that documentary that has like Naomi Campbell, it has Linda Evangelista, all of these other icons. When you look at them, they basically created like the supermodel of what we know today. To even like reach that pinnacle of like, a lifestyle, you could not just be a model. You have to be this multifaceted individual. I think the issue is, is that we came from this universe of like fashion and entertainment where you had to be this person that was like super revered individual. And then it kind of like became minimal. Even down to when you look at the way like how models walk, like models had these very expensive, eloquent walks from the 1950s all the way up until like the mid 90s, some slightly early 2000s. Somewhere along that, it came super boring and and, you know, models just, you know, went up and down the runway. They look super, super depressed. You can't really, really understand like what their personality is and what they bring to the table. So it's kind of going back to that. Social media, I feel like is good and bad because it allows you to have a voice, but sometimes people shouldn't speak. We are allowed to make whatever we want and we can literally sell it forever as much as we want to sell it for. And I think sometimes that that's good because it allows you to become your own producer of your own content. But at the same time, a lot of people aren't creating 
quality content. And so it's allowing things to be force fed into your brain, down your throat of things that you didn't realize you didn't want, you never wanted to see. And so when it comes to models, I feel like you have a lot of models that are being created, but you know, because there are things that they can add to the table. And I feel like today, you know, in my opinion, especially where we're going, it's going back to the way it was in the 90s where you have to have something about you that is more than just the way you look. Right. You have to have a voice. You have to have the what people would say the je ne sais quoi about yourself. Now, that's interesting that you say that of all people because you were already born having something about yourself that stood out. I don't know, correct me if I'm wrong, but you didn't necessarily have to like find a thing because you were known for looking different versus nowadays models, everyone looks pretty much the same. Like every model is pretty much replaceable. And so now what the degree of differentiation is, is their personality, their numbers on social media. But for you, from your perspective, how hard was that or was it for you to stand out as a model? It's weird. You would think that you would think that oh because you stand out that it would just be easy for you to pave a way but it's actually the complete opposite you know sorry to call it out but when even when it comes to race play like it was the blue-eyed blonde-haired boy you know type of situation you know when it comes to models of color especially black models you know you would always get somebody that would either be from you know out of the country and then it would just be a specific type of person and it would only be like two models that would either be like either on the runway or that one token black model that would be in the campaign with me people didn't know where and how to place me. So it was like, you know, that you would get people that they would be like, oh my God, like I love the fact that he has albinism. And then there's also that other aspect where people kind of treat you like the alien, like, you know, the very weird looking thing. And then you have people who just treat you like, oh, you know, you're just a guy who has albinism. But overall, it was not easy. You know, you always had to have these conversations. I can even tell you, like there was a time I went to models.com. I went to a go see. I was probably 16 years old and I met with someone there. I remember like the same way how me and you were are talking like this they were like you know i love um you know the fact that you look different but what is this thing on your nose because i have like this um bump on my nose that i've had my entire life i was born with it but the person goes and they say what is this bump on your nose and then i tell them they're like did you ever think about removing it and i'm like why does it because i feel like photographers such as big as steven mizel and patrick demarchier wouldn't like it because your face is not symmetrical now mind you you have a complete adult that is probably in their late 30s early 40s telling a 16 year old this so it was not easy i was always um, met with adversity in some type of way from many different people inside of the industry where, you know, you had designers that wanted to use me, but they didn't use me because they felt like I would walk off the runway because the light would be too bright and they wouldn't, didn't want to have like a lawsuit, just crazy stuff. And I'm just like, you know, it is what it is. The stories go on. Did you ever feel like the tug of war between feeling sufficient enough and then not good enough for some people in the industry? Absolutely. Because it's like, I would imagine for you, it's like, okay, I was weird enough for this particular project and exactly what they needed. But then for this project, I was too, too different and not exactly what they were looking for because they want like your cookie cutter person, right? Did you ever feel like that tug of war? And how did that make you feel? Yeah, I always felt that. I mean, in a lot of different aspects, and I still feel that in ways today, but I control my own narrative and I control, you know, the way I want the world to see me today, especially because, you know, I am my own person and I have a name for myself. But yeah, I would always feel that growing up where you feel people where they're like basically tapping onto you because they literally love exactly what they see. And then you have people that tap on you because no offense, mm -hmm. you're a spectacle. I want to hire you because you look different and so on and so forth. And even when I look at some of the jobs that I've done in the past, like it's a, a very big difference where let's take prime example, Katy Perry and Beyonce. Katy Perry, super sweet individual 
beyond honored to even have been a part of such a massive production and such a memorable moment in music. But you know, I was used as an alien inside of that music video, which is completely fine. You know, it, it's make-believe. But then you also have people like Beyonce who use me as a simple casting director, you know, just everyday person. And you have people like Lana Del Rey who also, you know, use me as just a simple person, a simple lover. It wasn't like, oh, let me use this guy because he has albinism and he has superpowers. And I also don't think that that was Katy Perry's initiative as well. I just think at the end of the day, just to give you that context of like, okay, this job made me portray this image of me in this way. And then this job portrayed this image of me in that way. Right. And going to the music video that you did with Beyonce, it was called Pretty Hurts, right? Wasn't the whole concept of that song to like showcase like your not traditional beauty standards and just like, it was like a criticism of beauty standards at the time, right? right. So my biggest interest in your experience is like the feeling of, am I a spectacle? Am I basically a circus? Like in a circus where they're casting me because I draw numbers and I draw attention, but it's because of how I look. So it's not really for me. But then I was thinking, as I was thinking that, like, is it any different than being an attractive person where it's like, you're only used because you're pretty. And it's like, do they really know them? But for that specific music video, though you were cast as like a regular person casting director, the concept overall was about non-traditional beauty standards. Right? right so did you feel like that was another thing that you were used for to showcase something how did that particular concept make you feel it actually made me feel any type of way and honestly the concept of the video actually happened on the spot rather than actually being casted for at the time being like like ty hunter who is beyonce's former creative fashion director and stylist for over freaking what 18 years he's my godfather and then always having me around destiny's child and the entire family and beyonce and so forth you know it's kind of like you just become like a little brother and so i became really 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 close with uh, Melina Matukas, which she's a director, a phenomenal director who has been responsible with working with the likes of Beyonce, working with Issa Rae, the list goes on. I remember that she told me the concept of the video and I was helping her cast it. And she was like, oh, if you want to, you know, you could play like this, you know, small part in a music video. And I was like, sure, like, why not? I didn't matter. And I remember the guy who was supposed to play the casting director, he didn't show up, which is weird. Like, who doesn't show up to a Beyonce music video? And they were like scrambling, like, who can play this person? And I, they, and I just watched them like, oh my God, we don't know what to do. And I was like, forget about it i'll do it i went to like one of the dps i'm like give me your glasses can i use your turtleneck and then i basically like played the role of this casting director pageant director type person and what i think is beautiful is that you have someone who is me that you have is being judged for being technically socially imperfect and i'm judging people in the music video that are socially perfect about their imperfections and i think it's very interesting to take beyonce who is a standard inside of this world and basically you know bang her up a little bit and tell her like you know get her act together basically telling her you're not perfect so it's like flipping the script and i think that that was a very very beautiful thing to look at in a lot of different aspects even just for herself now does that mean that was the plan all along in terms of needing to cast someone in that role that it became no, that it wasn't or it just became that because you were the person that ended up becoming the casting director it ended up becoming that if you actually look at the music video even more the person who wins the pageant over beyonce also has albinism which is deandra forrest and to be very honest with you i think if i'm correct on the set everyone voted who should have won was it beyonce or was it deandra and everyone voted for deandra oh really yeah so even though it was a music video she actually won that fair and square that's pretty dope which this is a good point too because it sounds like you've had an assertiveness in your career right to make things happen so as a model how much of your career was you making things happen for yourself versus like relying on your agencies to make things happen for you because this seems like a situation where you're like hey like i'm here let me do it and just kind of inserted yourself or it, the opportunity arose 
and you took it. So for me, absolutely, I would say that I had to assert myself in many different rooms, scenarios, conversations, and I still do to this day. You know, I think that's something that will never go away because you have this vision of like where you see yourself in your life in general, and only you see that. And so you're not going to stop until you get that. And sometimes that image changes. Sometimes that dream changes. And for me, I'm always going to insert myself. And I definitely would like urge anybody, don't wait for the moment that somebody is going to like bring you into a scenario. Like if you see a clear way, like implement yourself right away, 1000%. Because nine times out of 10, there are people who actually know how talented you are. And that's why they keep you at bay because they don't want your talent to shine that much. So looking back, what big accomplishments was Sean Ross that does Sean Ross make happen that you that you would want people to know, hey, that was me. <laughs> that wasn't my agency. That wasn't no manager. That was me. When you really, really look at it, even if it was an agent involved, it was always me because they were searching for me. Yeah, I was discovered from a YouTube video, but in reality, it's like if an agent is having an email being sent for me on my behalf, it's because they're searching. That's the beautiful thing about being specific. Mm. People are coming to you because they like specifically want right. you. But something that I'm saying I'm proud of having a, you know, a platinum record. Mm. I think that that's something that's amazing. I mean, looking at Duke Dumont, they were like, oh, Duke Dumont is playing. And I was just like, wait, what? Duke Dumont? Like, I love Duke Dumont. I love Need You 100. It's one of my favorite songs. And I was there and it's just like, you know, you have all these rich people and they weren't paying attention to him at all. And I'm just like, are you guys crazy? You're technically getting like your own private concert. I went up to him and I was like, hey, like, I would love your number. I love your music. And we kept in contact over the years. I would always go and reach out to him like, hey, I want to get in a studio with you. And he'll be like, you know, soon, soon, soon. Finally, we did it. It ended up being like one of his biggest songs. That's something that I did for myself that I think is phenomenal and amazing and great. I mean, even like being on tour with like Snow Allegra or being on tour with Amber Mark. These are things that I've had my own relationships without, you know, throughout time. Being 22 years old, doing a TED talk, I think those things were like really, really amazing as well. Which is really interesting to note too, because I think what models should learn while they're emerging in this industry is the importance of leveraging relationships and building a network of people, right? Because how much of what you've been able to accomplish as a music artist has been because of the relationships you built in modeling? A ton of relationships, a ton of people, a ton of conversations. I even learned how to be in studio, like proper studio etiquette and how to like actually make music. Being in studios with people like Wale and Chris Brown to being in studios with like my best friend Rush Davis, you know, he literally has taught me so much inside of my music career. Just being around him and watching how he prefaced um, so many different types of avenues inside of his music and how he makes things happen. Like that has helped me dramatically in so many different aspects. When I look back at it, I was already preparing myself in a way that I didn't realize I was preparing myself to do exactly what I do today. Now, did you always know throughout your modeling career, the time you were modeling, that music was going to be what you were going to be eventually doing? I knew that like I had an extensive catalog in my mind of like the music that I listened to, but I didn't think that I would actually take that catalog and it would inspire me to actually make my own music. You know, people like Maxwell down to Michelle and Cello, from even people like Lenny Kravitz or Bjork. These are people who have inspired me throughout the years because I just love to listen to them like naturally. And so I'm like, okay, if I was to like mesh those things and take things from them, people like Michael Jackson take certain nuances that they have and I like, you know, tweak it and bring it into my own. How does this help me create my sound as a person? Even when I look at like how I am as an individual, even doing this interview, how I'm answering things. These are things that have been inspired from multiple artists just watching them throughout time, even actors. One of my like 
core things of how I like to feel to people and how I like to be remembered in people's lives on the good aspect. You know, I feel like that comes from people like Robin Williams. When he passed away, it really made me sad. And I didn't realize it was going to make me sad. And I cried. And I'm like, well, why am I crying? I'm like, because when you think of Robin Williams, he represents togetherness. In every movie he's ever played in, he's brought people together. And so I've always wanted to have that type of thing in me. And so I take things from musicians and actors and the list goes on of things that I've watched my entire life and it helped mold Sean. So you started out dancing, then you became a model. You've walked in fashion shows and now you're on stage performing. All of that experience performing in front of people and being on stage, did you always feel confident like being in front of the camera, being in front of an audience? Or is that something that today when you're performing is still kind of like a struggle or what's your experience with that? I would definitely say there's, you know, different levels, different devils, I guess. For me, it definitely feels different. Like when I was on tour with Amber Mark, we would have like maximum, I think in one of the cities was like maybe like 500 people. And then I went on tour with Snow Allegra opening for her. And then that went from like 500 to like 5,000. Obviously they're both great opportunities. I don't know, it's weird. At certain moments, like I love the smaller crowd. And then at moments I'm like, but I appreciate the bigger crowd because it's so big and you feel so larger than life on stage. But at certain times, I mean, I prefer like the smaller crowd in ways because you can connect with them more. But it, it, you get nervous sometimes. And then for some reason, it just like leaves your mind. I, I'm not gonna lie to you. Like every city we would go to right before I would like walk on stage, maybe like the last few cities, my heart would be racing so bad. And I also was like sick on tour. I'm um, going through like, like my own health stuff. So that also didn't help. But I was going, sad to say, like long COVID and things like that and like having like different symptoms with like dysautonomia and POT syndrome and all those different things and not realizing like what's happening to my body. Yeah, I would definitely just be like on stage, music's playing, about to walk out and like my heart is like going like 160 beats per minute. And I have to like have my fiance like come and like hold me and like breathe in and breathe out. And it's so interesting because even when like he wasn't on tour, I would have like a friend of mine, my friend Kenyatta. And like, I remember there was one city I was like, please hold me. Cause I'm like, I had to hold on to someone. And then eventually, I don't know what would click in my mind, but I would just walk out. And then five minutes in, I would start singing and all the jitters would just, and it's like, I would say there's this type of high you get from being on stage that is like, you can't describe it. And then you're like, damn, it's over so quick. When in the ending, you're like, I want to go and do it again. But it's like, no, you're done. <laughs> like, go sit down. Now comparing that to walking for fashion shows, was there- They're similar different adrenaline. Oh my God, yeah, there's times like where you will walk out and you're just like, your heart again, it's like beating, it's beating, it's beating. And then, you know, you're out there. And the thing about what's funny, like the lights are so bright, you can't see people. And then you get out there and you're like, you know, it's blue steel and it's like, you're doing the thing. Looking back at the shows that you did for fashion, what do you think are some of the most nerve wracking shows you walked for? Well, this is my thing. We're gonna start giving credit to designers, whether they're big or small, because a lot of designers that I walked for at the time were weren't super big and they are big, but the first person to ever give me a chance, there are two designers. The first runway I had ever did actually was for Hood by Air, when you know it was with Shane Oliver and um, Raul Lopez. And then I also worked with Tim Hamilton, who is a very, very renowned uh, designer who worked with Ralph Lauren. Another show I walked for that we did for V-Man, Beth Ann Hardison casted it. You basically walked as twins. At the time, you have models as big as Alton Mason. In my time, the Alton Mason 
was Salu Jalo. And Salu Jalo literally was a black male model that cracked the door for so many people from modeling for things for like Givenchy to Benetton to Vogue, the list goes on, this man has done everything. And so I was his twin. And so what it would be was like, we walked around in a U. And so it would be like the person would have to continue walking, but you come out in the same outfit as a different person. Cecily Lopez, her twin was iconic model Pat Cleveland. It was interesting because I, I didn't know, I think the time to walk out. So I was very, very scared when I like actually think about it. Like, oh my God, like that was like very nerve wracking. Now, at what point in your modeling career did you feel like this is it? I've broken through and people now know who I am. Like, what was that defining moment as a model where you became a top model, would you say? I don't really know. And I think, you know, it's funny because Taraji P. Henson said it in an interview recently. And she said, you know, you never truly feel like you are making it because this industry will remind you of how small you are to them in many different ways. And so for me, I am Sean Ross. I have done things that people in this world will never, ever do. And I have done things that I can see, you know, when I look at billboards and models that have even come after me, I'm like, if it wasn't for me, they wouldn't exist. If there wasn't a Lekwek, a Stacey McKenzie, a Kate Moss, Connie Chu, these models that came before me, Leah Cabetti, Tyra Banks, Naomi Campbell, Tyson Bedford, I personally would not exist because they had to pave the way for me. So when I look at models today where you have people that are curvy or people who have, you know, different um, aspects of them like albinism, vitiligo, the list goes on. Like if it wasn't for me, you probably wouldn't have a career. I, mean, I had to crawl so you can walk. So I have made this preface in my life where I'm like, I am my own icon. I am my own legend. I am my own whatever you want to call it. I don't need to get this massive award. Like I've never gotten GQ model of the year, but what? Who cares? I have been the model of the year in my mind many times over and then some. Right. Because a lot of that stuff, sorry to throw shade, a lot of that stuff, agents pay for it anyway. It's like, why does it really, really matter? I am my own model. I'm out here making strides. I'm out here changing the course of history. I'm changing the way designers and casting directors and producers think about their campaigns. You know what I'm saying? I remember being a model, agents telling you, oh, go inside of the cast and make sure you're carrying a football or a skateboard because they love to hire the boy next door. Like creating that facade. And hell no, I would go into castings with Rick Owen heels on and I would wear all kinds of avant-garde stuff. And it's very interesting because I would be next to these white guys that were like six foot two, abs, straight teeth, the list goes on. And when I would walk, I felt like everybody would get intimidated because they're like, well, what is he about to do? And I know I have a good walk. I know I have a strong walk. So it just all, it all depends. I made it my own moment and I'm not waiting for the industry to tell me who I am because if you wait, they'll never tell you. Well, I kind of have a saying too. I'm, I'm already famous, but people don't know it. Well, it's like if you already have like a, a very heightened or a sense of self-respect for what you do and what you know you're capable of, that really only comes to because you know your value and what you're bringing to the table. It also doesn't occur to you when like other people start catching on to what you've already known, which should in a sense keep you humble to a certain extent, because it's like, well, I've, I've been the same since before and after, right. it doesn't really matter. But now kind of going into specific career questions that I know that my audience will want to know, would you say that doing runway shows gave you the clout that helped you a lot in your career? I think it was part of it, but I think it was also like this essence of like knowing. In this industry, whatever you decide to do, fashion, music, acting, whatever, there has to be a certain belief system that is instilled in you before the world instills their belief on you. 
And so for me, I started to like believe in myself. Even if I don't win in your eyes, I've already won. I think having that confidence and then adding on, you know, the jobs that would come throughout time, of course, it gives you a certain sense of confidence. Absolutely. You have male models that are more younger, like prime example, like Lucky Blue. You know, models like him, like he would come out of fashion shows and like they would just, you know, in Milan and they would be like freaking like fans everywhere. You understand what I'm saying? But then you also have Cole Moore. You know, Cole Moore, when I was coming up, was a massive male model that would sit next to like Agnes Dean and Agnes Dean and Laura Stone, the list goes on. It just really, 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 really depends, I would say. Should a model nowadays look forward to doing runway shows for the same reasons that models exploded for walking for certain people? I don't think that they should look forward to it, but I think that when they do runway shows, it's about the moment that's being created. Like when you look at Kate Moss and how Alexander McQueen made her into a hologram. That was a moment. You understand what I'm saying? When you really think about fashion, you'll have like Bella Hadid, Kendall Jenner. These are like what the world classifies as top models today because they have, you know, their lives, social media, the list goes on. What about the other models that are part of the show? No one's paying attention to them. There's a lot of models that I know for years that you would literally look past them because it's not about the fact that it's the runway show. It's like they pick little stars and they put them in and so on and so forth to give it that oomph. But in reality, for the longest time, it wasn't about that. It was like, let me have the most plain Jane model so that you focus on the clothing. But what designers didn't realize is that by doing that, you lost the essence. It's not just about the fashion and buying clothing. It's the entire lifestyle. We are in love with the lifestyle. So when you have people like Cindy Crawford and Linda Evangelista, it was their lifestyle that we loved about these women. When you look at Naomi Campbell, it's the lifestyle. Models back then were at at fashion shows, having their very distinct walks. And then they were going to after parties and rubbing elbows with massive celebrities and designers. They were being flown all the way around the world. They were literally in freaking commercials and they were even making cameos in movies. Like Tyson Beffer, come on, you were in freaking Zoolander. You had freaking Naomi Campbell who was inside of freaking Michael Jackson's um, music video. The list goes on. And so that type of want and desire to be a part of the model's life, whether it's real or facade, we want to be a part of it again. Now, that being said, would you say looking back that doing runway shows was all that modeling was made out to be or was it like a portion of your experience as a model? Oh, definitely a portion. But I mean, it's definitely a great portion because it's the performance aspect, being in front of people and seeing how your walk can move them or your presence. And I'm gonna tell you something, there's, there have been runway shows that I have walked and in that moment, you feel like you're on top of the world. There's 300 people watching you and the entire room just stops. There was this one show, Odin Voff. I remember I walked out and it was just like the best crickets you could ever not hear. In that time frame, like how long in your career were you always doing runway shows or did that last for a certain period of time and then the music videos came up and then other opportunities? Was there different stages of what you were doing work-wise? Absolutely, 1000%. I would say like, you know, I was doing modeling and doing like runway shows, editorials, whatever the case may be. And then I remember like it was yesterday, I was online to be seen for the show Custo Barcelona. And it was a show I've always wanted to walk because I just love their clothing, but I never got picked. This guy emailed me on my Facebook, Danny Lockwood, who was at EMI. He he like messaged me and was like, hey, Katy Perry wants you to play in her music video. And I swear to God, I thought it was a scam. And I was like, literally as I'm online waiting to be seen, I'm telling the guy like what my name is, what my passport information is. I think that casting was at like 6 p.m. My flight was leaving 
even at 9 p.m. And it was my first time that I would ever come to California. Meeting Floria Sigismundi, who is a phenomenal director, and then I'm meeting Kabuki, who is like one of the most legendary makeup artists of all time, who's worked with like Mariah Carey and Michael Jackson. And then I'm meeting Katie. And I remember, it's so funny, like out of all of the people that I met, and it's something that sticks to me in my head still to this day, there was this lady that I met. She was an old Russian lady and she was a seamstress on set. And I just see her eating by herself. I didn't really know anybody. So I'm like, do you mind if I eat with you? I'm like 19 years old. She's probably like 60 years old. And so I'm like asking her like, what do you do on set? How long have you been doing it? The first thing that she had ever did was this guy came to her was like, can you sew this jacket together? And she sewed it and it ended up being the red jacket in Thriller. She started to work with Michael Jackson on sets. She said, you want to know something? Not to toot my own horn, but she's like, you remind me a lot of him. The same way how I've told him. She's like, I'll tell you. She's like, you got something in you for sure. And when I was 19, that always stood inside of me to be like, this lady seeing Michael Jackson that like she sees something very, very similar. So at the point that you got that call to be in the music video, what was the money that you were making prior to that happening? Today's podcast is brought to you by me. Brandon Andre. If you're a model who wants to become a working model, then you need to enroll in my model masterclass today. In my online class, I teach models how to make more money by showing them how to manage their careers as a business. From getting signed, to building a portfolio that gets you jobs, to building an audience on TikTok and Instagram, then monetizing it, to learning how to win the favor from your agents and casting directors, to learning how to brand yourself on social media, and how to lure in brands and brand deals to increase your income as a model. Getting signed doesn't mean you'll get work, but learning how to run a business does. So enroll my model masterclass now by going to my website at brandonandrephoto.com. I'm gonna be honest with you. I didn't make my first $1,000 until maybe like five years into my career. Wow. Yeah, I mean, so many aspects, you know, I would just be hustling it and so on and so forth. I remember even at the time I was in a relationship with my ex, he would just pay for everything. It would actually start a lot of arguments in between us because I couldn't really pay for anything. I figured out other ways on how to make money, even like my friend Tala, who is like this amazing event producer who has this company called The New York Issue. She started it all by herself and she would like make me do the doors. It would be so funny. I would be at fashion events and I would do the door. You can get in, you can't get in. And so when like Wire Images and Getty Images would come in, they would be like, oh, Oh my God, can we like, you know, get your photo? And I'm like, with a, like a headset. And I'm like, yeah, like, <laughs> sure. Like whatever the case may be. Cause they're like, I can't believe you're doing it. But I kind of loved it. Having that aspect of like hustling. I used to help my mom sell Mary Kay when I was like 11 and I knew how to sell to women. And so for me, in my opinion, I feel like modeling agents, especially today are very obsolete. There should be no reason why I am 32 years old and my agent is 24. You could never ever work hard for my career more than I could because you don't have the expertise let alone you don't even have the background and history of understanding what you're even selling. Mm. So then, you know, I would have agents that would try to be like, oh, you should get on TikTok. You should just send a third. Like, what do I look like being on TikTok? If you know me, you know that I'm not a TikTok person. But again, you have these young kids that are going inside of these agents because they have a fresh new perspective, which is good. But there's also a lot that they don't know. Like prime example, models don't have health insurance, which is so funny because you need your health to be top tier. You need your skin and teeth and all these things to be top tier to sell products. These agents aren't paying for them to go get facials. These agents aren't paying for them to get their nails done. All of these different things. And on top of that, even mental health. So the whole system around the entire modeling industry is completely bogus and it has always been. I think though, when I have considered those things, it's because of the high turnover. I have like model searches that I do, right? And I basically will find models, plug them into my class, and then connect them with other agents that will then get them signed. The delusion for models is way grander than mm -hmm. it is for any other industry. Mm -hmm. And what that does though is when I 
I see these inquiries, so many people don't even bother reading the requirements or reading what they should be sending in, like sending images or making sure that your Instagram, for instance, shows pictures of yourself. It's up to par. Yeah, it's just very basic stuff. And because there's so many, then you have a plethora to, to choose from. And then what happens is that they're easily replaceable, which is why a big part of what I do on the platform that I have is to teach models to advocate and manage their own careers as a business, because that's what I have to do as a photographer. I have to innovate. I have to figure out, well, how am I going to make money when there's all this competition? How do I stand out? How do I Absolutely. become set apart? And that's what models have to do because the agents are not going to teach them how to grow their following on social they're not, media. They're not going to teach them. And also too, social media has given people this false idea that you can do everything and anything, which is good to a point. Like prime example, we live in LA. Everyone in LA all of a sudden is a trainer. Just because you're cute from high school and you have a body that worked for you doesn't mean you actually know the formula of how to make someone's body into whatever you need it to be. Right. You know what works for you. You have even on Instagram, like models, like it kills me when I see someone's profile and it says fashion model. In order to be a fashion model, you have had to be a model in fashion. Don't think just because you're attractive and you're skinny that you're a fashion model. That's not a fashion model. You are a person who has a desire, which is fine. Chase your dreams, but be realistic. Do not put the thing on your page, fashion model, but all I see you doing is taking pictures inside of a freaking gas station in Atlanta with your outfit on that doesn't even look fashionable. Facts. I did a TikTok on that talking about, you know, the biggest problem with models nowadays is that they want to be models, but they don't want to like, they don't want to do the work. Exactly. They don't want to look like models. They don't want to look like they can sell clothes and stuff. When it's like, as a music artist, you have to train as a vocalist. You have to like be good in front of the camera. You have to train on the mic. All the work that goes into the things that we do, dancing, you have to like take classes. But you want to know what that comes from? We accept mediocre today. You'll have somebody that has Sade where like when she's singing, like, you know, her voice is very soft and like, you know, you'll hear like notes, you know, not to be, you know, any type of shady, but like you have the same type of artist that wants to sound like Justin Bieber. You have people, they sit there, they do their TikTok dances and they're waiting and all you hear is, we accept yeah. the most mundane things of everything, even the music. You're rapping about, oh, money that you do not have <laughs> or all of the sex you do not get. I always thought it's funny because it's like you'll see a rapper that just came out and he'd be like flying in a private jet over Monte Carlo, but you don't have money to even get a first class ticket to New York. So how could you understand what it is like to be in a first class private jet? We've accepted to be mediocre as a standard. Now going back into when you were first beginning, because I think the perception for models when they start out, they think that they're going to make money immediately, that mm -hmm. I'm signed now. That's the biggest thing that I kind of emphasize. I don't teach models to care about getting signed, I teach them to become working models because there are tons of models that are signed and they don't work. And so that's when you have to start learning how to advocate for yourself. But were you surprised when you weren't making money? We were like, okay, I'm doing all these things, but where's the money? Like, what was your actual reality? Like, where were you living? How were you surviving? I mean, you mentioned the, the person that you were dating at the time, but was it shocking to you? I remember I was supposed to have an exclusive where I was supposed to work with Prada and it never happened. I was always that model where I'd have the biggest designers put me on hold. I always got used to that. But when I did get the big jobs that I would do, like prime example, like working with like Axe, that was the most money that that I had ever made at one point, close to like 150 to $200,000 at one point. I made, I think like $150,000 over the course of like two days. They showed me that I'm worth it. And from that moment, I have never made less than that ever in my life ever since. Right. And I thank those brands like Nike and Axe 
for just seeing me and saying, like, oh, like we're not going to pay him low because we're taking a risk. We're going to pay him high or we're going to pay him what he's worth, not only because he's worth it, but because he's adding something to this equation we cannot add by ourselves. Now, during that time, would you say that the reason why the people started taking you that seriously, where they valued at that point, was because of the music videos? Or like, did you make your big check? Was it after kind of the big publicity that you were getting from all the... I think it was a mixture between publicity, but also just being me and being that interesting person. You know, if I go back and look at my life, I mean, I was always the life of the party. I have a sense of style. I was always around different types of people and people love that. They're like, you're such a revered person. So I believe that was the thing. I created this thing where people wanted to be like, yo, like he's dope. I want to be around him. I want to be a part of him. I want to put him in my thing because people I think also saw themselves in me or what they wanted to be or what they were afraid to be. So a lot of models want to become famous. You've gotten to that point. You've become a famous model. People know who you are. Is fame worth it? When I look at certain artists like Corinne Bailey Ray or like Lauren Hill, Sade, when you look at them, damn, you haven't came out with an album in five years. I'm like, I never understood that. Now I get it. It's because they found this richness in their life that you actually lose, in my opinion, the more famous you become. So like they found this richness where it's like, okay, I make enough money to live. But what I feel a lot of those artists have that some of the most biggest artists will never have ever again is they have peace of mind. What I love when people come up to me is I, you know, people be like, oh my God, like you, you know, you should, you should focus on trying to get, you know, your fame to this level. I don't want that. What I love when people come up to me rather than being like, oh my God, oh my God, oh my God, oh my God, Sean Ross, da, 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 da. I love when people say, I know what you've done. I've watched you over the years. I grew up with you. I respect what you do. That to me lets me know that you actually know what I've done. And it makes me feel like I actually did my job pretty okay. So to me, fame is not worth it. So when you did become famous or when things started changing for you in your life, when all your friends and your community that you grew up around started seeing, oh my gosh, Sean's like working with big people. What started to change for you? Did you, do you feel like you changed or the world around you changed? How did people start treating you as a result of everything that was happening to you? You would definitely see them change. People would just get very, you know, the envious. And I think envy is human. So when you were in New York, what agency were you with? At the time in New York, I think I was with APM. I don't remember exactly what agency I was with, but I do know that my agent was Sean Zane, who growing up, Sean Zane was revered as well, like great agent. Then I came out here, I signed with Next, I was with them for nine years. And I like, you know, commend her because she gave me an opportunity, fought for me the best way that she could. What were the conversations when you sat at the table to sign the contract like? Well, modeling contracts are just stupid. It's just basically you're signing something that says that we're taking 20% of your money. The one thing I will say that I did love that Mimi said to me, she said, agent who tells you that I know what to do with you is a liar. This is this is actually a very bold statement. She said any agent who says to you automatically off the bat that I know what to do with you is automatically a liar because you haven't been done before. And when she said that to me, I was like, thank you for being honest. She's like, so it's a figuring out game. And I can deal with someone who's figuring me out rather than lying and saying like, oh my God, like I can do this for you. And she didn't do that. She was just like, it's going to be, you know, we're, we're figuring it out. You know, one of the things that I teach models to ask, because, you know, as a business, this, these are the kind of questions you ask when you're partnering with people. I tell models before you sign, you should ask your agent or the agency, what is your plan for me? Mm -hmm. You know, at least that basic question to make sure that your agent is actually intentional about what they plan to do with you and stuff. Do you think that's a great question to ask? And do you think that today agents can answer that? I think that agents today, in my opinion, cannot answer that because again, like I said, a lot of them are young and they don't have the expertise. One of the things that the generation today does not do, like the 20-somethings and especially the teenagers, they do not do their research. When I was coming up, we had to do our research. I knew going 
someone in every room who, what, when, where, why, like what have they done, like whatever. You know what I'm saying? Do your research. And a lot of people do not do their research. For a lot of these people are going to events and fashion shows and they're there because they have a million followers, but you can't even pronounce the designer right that you're wearing. You know what I'm saying? I would ask girls at parties like, oh my God, like what are you wearing? And she's like, I don't know. It's um Proenza Schooler. Like what? Like do your research. And a lot of these kids today do not do their research. So I would definitely say like do your research and understand where you even see yourself as a model, as a creative, like where you want to be and ask your agent that question. What do you see for me? Where do you see me, et cetera, et cetera. And on top of that, tell them what you see for yourself. When it, when it, when it works with agents and models or agents or whatever, it's not like, oh, I'm just going to sit there and my agent's going to book me. No, you have to actively have conversations and check-ins with your agent and talk about like, oh, I want to work on this. I want to try to book that or I want to this and a third. Make a list. Really like to emphasize the importance of like relationships and like people, like trying to find your tribe, your people. But during that environment, you know, when you're around celebrities, because I'm sure you went out to different events and functions where everybody was somebody, right? Of course. Did you feel alone? Did you have people that like you could actually build long lasting relationships with? I think that's the beautiful thing is that when you're in this world that is such a facade, the real ones stick out. They stick out. And unfortunately, a lot of the real ones don't look like anything that you would automatically expect them to. You know, you've entered in the industry kind of like we're the same age, so like pre-social media and then like the emergence of social media. How did that change your career? Just like the possibilities and, and the opportunities for your career and like what are the pros and cons of the emergence of social media? Me and Tyson Bedford had a conversation about this and he was like, I was me before social media and he's right. It, it was hard to be a thing before social media, but like today, social media is such a thing. Like again, you could just become famous tomorrow for literally absolutely nothing. I came up in the era where you would go to fashion parties and you actually would have fun. You weren't worrying about, oh, let me get a photo with this celebrity. Let me pull out my camera out because camera phones were still pixelated right. and weird. You know, you had Blackberries and you had to ask your friend, can I use your battery? Cause I gotta get home. Weird stuff like that. But you think though that there's a place for social media, right? Cause as a music artist, that's like strongly emphasized with labels and it's like, get your numbers up. We need social media falling. Cause everyone thinks that, you know, the more numbers you have that that translates into but something. But that's what they have to realize is that there are people out there that have literally 20,000 followers, but when it's time for them to sell out a show, they can get a thousand people in a room. Mm. So numbers are not accurate. And I don't understand why agents, streaming services and labels are starting to be like, I'm going to get this person because they have a million followers. Just because you have a million followers doesn't mean this person is going to sell a million things. That's a good point. So when you decided to launch your first single, how many followers on social media did you have? I don't remember, but it was weird. When I put my first single out, obviously it got a lot of traction because it was my first single. And then I would put things out after that. And then people were like, eh, you know, like it was what it was. They didn't know I was taking it serious. And so I went and I I definitely shied away from modeling for a year or two. I went and I dedicated myself to music. I'm like, if this is what I want to do, I have to really, really dedicate myself to it. I have to understand the ins and outs and I'm still learning. And that's why like now I DJ. I got sick, so I don't know when's the next time I will perform, you know, like singing in front of people. I want to perform in some type of medium. So like when people see me DJ, because of the fact that I have like POTS syndrome or POTS symptoms, I have to sit in a chair while I'm DJing, but I kind of like it. You know, I'm actually literally cooking. Like I'm like sitting in a chair and I'm just like, you know, I feel like it's like a motherboard and I'm just like playing with different things. So when I did the music with like Duke Dumont and then, you know, DJing and doing big things, like even like opening for Beyonce on a Renaissance tour, that was something that was like super huge where I'm like, okay, like this is something that I'm like really, 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 really doing. I'm even working on like songs now to play within my mixes as well. Mm -hmm. 
Did you stay friends or did you maintain a relationship with Beyonce, Katie, Lana, any of these people? Like how deep did the relationships go when you worked with them? I don't think they ever went anybody super close to them. And if I was them, I wouldn't either. But the one thing that I will say is that whenever I do see any of them, it is the utmost respect. I think the last time I saw Beyonce was at Janelle Monae's skating party. And actually when I see them, they're always super sweet. Like Madonna, beyond sweet. Lady Gaga, beyond sweet. They're just really like, you know, respect. And it's funny because I don't think they look at me as something lower than them. I think they respect my craft and they know enough about it. They're like, okay, cool. Like you're, you're Sean Ross, got it. Would you say like the industry is the same fashion it's high entertain school. entertainment so it's not like you felt more comfortable being around fashion people than you did fashion people are shady i will tell you that for sure fashion people are the shadiest of the bunch for sure i would definitely say like out of any industry fashion people are the most unhappy they are the most shady they're the most gatekeepy and then you know you also have like the industry sad to say where there are like white parts of the industry that are also gatekeepy like one thing that i think is very weird there's so many people that you could hire and they're not hiring them and with these brands and magazines are not realizing by always doing that you're killing your magazine by always putting every popular young teenage kid you're killing it which is why you're not selling magazines anymore because you're not realizing that the 50 and 40 year olds will go and buy the magazine but they're not going to buy the magazine because you have this person because they're popular on tiktok and these young kids don't understand the value of having a magazine anywhere my mother has all of my magazines that i've ever been in the kids today they don't get tear sheets they have digital covers mm -hmm. i'm on the digital cover of this magazine what is a digital cover it's basically a cheap way of how a magazine that does not have the financial backing to go and basically go and produce actual physical tangible content now talking about kind of how shady the fashion industry is let's talk about body image real quick mm -hmm. your body looks different today than it did when you first started out has the fashion industry treated you differently as your body has changed over the years Absolutely, it definitely has. And I mean, now, I mean, I'm in my 30s, I'm engaged. Not only that I only have my own health issues that make me a little bit of exercise intolerant. Yeah, like, I mean, I drink, I'm thicker, but it's like, I'm fine with it. Cause at the end of the day, the industry's gonna always find something to pick at you. Like when I was smaller, it would always be, I didn't have any shoulders, I had no chest. And now, you know, I have shoulders or whatever the case would be, and that's still not enough. And I got a belly and this and a third. And it's like, I will have a body that's skinny again, and then it'll get thick again. It'll get skinny again and it'll be fine and it'll be okay. Like, you know, I have a lot of things that a lot of people wouldn't have. I have a roof over my head. I have a man who loves me. I have friends who love me. I have family who loves me. And a lot of people who have that image don't even have a percentage of that. Do you feel like you've had a lot of criticism? I mean, I know that part of your story is like being bullied in high school for the way that you looked and stuff, but do you feel like there is a different type of criticism you got in your modeling career because of body changes, especially with like even like hairstyles too, like, like the way that you you decided to be like did you have to seek approval from your agencies to look a certain way and how was the freedom with that i didn't but you know what's something that happened recently in the past five years i had an agent of mine and he said something to me where he was like you know you put on some weight um so you have to get that down and so on and so forth not only did i read him i'm like baby first of all not to toot my horn but i'm sean ross i'm gonna be whatever way i'm gonna be that's number one number two you're not talking to a teenage boy because first of all i will never do e-commerce because what do i look like doing e-commerce that's not me i'm like at the level of like specialty projects. So you telling me that, oh, I need to grow out facial hair and I need to distend the third and I need to grow out my hair. I don't need to do none of that. That's where you got it all messed up. I need to do none of that because I'm going to be booked 
for me. Right. I am not a model. And that's probably why me and that agent never really clicked because your image and your vision that you had for me was too small. Like that's that's a privilege to arrive to having that you build your name, you build, you do the work, you start from the bottom and you work your way up to then arriving at that position to be like, no, you're booking me for me. Now talking about male models and the body image that male models go through, you know, there's a lot of conversation about females and what they go through about their body image. What are some things that people don't know about male models and like what they struggle with when it comes to their bodies? You know, there's skinny models, there's models that have muscles. What What is some of the things that you've experienced and can shed light on? Men in reality, whether this is for women or men or whoever it is that's watching this, like boys in general are just gross. Like when you think of men, even like hygiene, men are just very weird. It's weird. I never really found male models to be attractive and I used to be around them all the time. Like, I mean, I'd be backstage, I naked. It is what it is. And I'd never be like, oh my God, this person's sexy. Because a lot of male models, to be honest with you, like they're just boys. So like I look at like certain top male models that are like attractive to the masses and I'm like, their hygiene is gross. But on top of that, like body images and stuff like that, like they go through the same things. Like I said, like, oh, your chest is not too small. You need to be this big. Or like a lot of guys are not taught like, oh my God, to go get a manicure and pedicure. So they're backstage with busted up toes. I just think that you, they go through the same things that women go through. I'm pretty sure women go through more because fashion is a women's world, but men go through their own stuff too. Now, what is something that you would tell a new model that's starting out in 2024 in this modeling world that we now have that would be sound words of wisdom from Sean Ross? First thing I would say is do your research on exactly what it is that you want to become. Learn your manners in that industry. Always give kudos to people that came before you because you would want people to do the same for you when you reach a certain level. Just consistently work at it. Don't become lazy on your agent to do everything. Do things for yourself. Have your own vision and don't be afraid to talk about that vision you have for yourself in front of the people that work for you. Also, the last advice I would give is when you are a model and you are with an agency, understand this. You do not work for the agency. The agency works for you. So the last question that I wanted to ask is what is next for Sean Ross? Living. I'm not looking in the future anymore for like what is next for me. I think that's the issue. I think we're so focused on what's ahead that we're not living in the moment. And as cliche as that is, it's true. You have so many people out here that doing amazing things to us, but when you talk to them, they're like, oh, I feel like I need to do more. I'm like, but did you not accept the fact that you just were Grammy nominated? Did you not accept the fact that you were just mm -hmm. on this cover? Like sit in that before it gets taken away from you because God will definitely take it away from you. Right. No, be present. I think that's great advice. Okay, Sean, thank you so much for coming. I appreciate the time you took to come here. And if you guys want to follow Sean Ross on social media, just follow him at Sean Ross. And if you guys want to listen to his music, you can stream on Spotify, Apple, YouTube, everywhere. everywhere, Sean Ross. Check him out. And thank you for coming. Thank you. Thanks for listening to today's show. And don't forget to hit that follow button to be in the loop when a new episode drops. Be sure to check out my model masterclass by visiting my website, brandonandrephoto.com or by clicking the link in my bio on Instagram at the Brandon Andre.